Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Thought Row podcast. It's time to think creatively. I'm Rod Jones. And I'm Angie Jones. This podcast is all about inspiring creativity in your life. We will be sharing thought-provoking tips to help you be more creative every single day. Tune in each week for a new episode. We will be featuring some very talented and some interesting guests from all over the world. Our guests include creative people like artists, musicians, writers, performers, chefs, venters, entrepreneurs, and many others. Yes, we want everyone to know these guests are not only creative, but they have insightful stories and information to share with you. Also, these talented people have such interesting lives and personal stories that are motivational and inspirational. When you tune into our weekly podcast, Inji will share with you an inspirational quote. I know you will find it to be motivating and a great way to start your day or keep you on track throughout the week. Yeah, just to let you guys know, the quotes that you hear on the show are available as screensavers for your phone or computer. It's available as a free download on our website at thoughtrow.com. Lots of inspiration to enjoy every day just for you all as a thank you gift from us for tuning into our podcast. Angie and I have been living the creative life for many years, and we want to share with you our tips, and our secrets of what we've learned along the way. That's right, Rod, and I think everyone will benefit from the stories and experiences we share. So, everyone, please remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love for you to tune in. Welcome to the Thought Row podcast, and it's a beautiful day here. I hope it's a beautiful day wherever you are. Uh, It's not always a great day here. We get a lot of snow, but right now it's bright and sunny. But as our usual routine, we want to start this podcast with a quote from Angie, and I'm anxious to hear this one because I heard her practice it. (laughs) Okay, here is our quote for today. It is, the art of people is a true mirror in their minds, and it's by Jay Nehru. Hmm. That's 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 kind of a deep one, isn't it? It is. It's very layered. Maybe... um, you need to read it again so I can get okay, it. Okay, that's a good idea. The quote is, the art of a people is a true mirror to their minds. That could go a variety of directions. I guess you could say the art of the people might be a painting or perhaps even a written word. And then it's a true mirror to their minds. So that's reflecting what they're thinking and mm-hmm. that comes out. So instead of just looking at them physically... The art that they created is a mirror from their minds. Am I am I getting this correctly? Right. That's kind of a that's kind of that's one requires a lot of thought. It does, and it has a lot of layers to it, and it's a deep comment, even though it seems rather simple on the surface. I think that not only it's what you said, but also taking into account the soul and spirituality of each person creating the art, because that's really the meat of of someone's creativity. Oh, I like that. I, I mean, hopefully when you create a piece of art uh, or whatever you do creatively, it's projected. It's projected out mm-hmm. to the world for everyone to see. But when they look at it, then they get, like you just said, I think, yeah. a vision of what's really going on inside their head and their soul. Well, Is that right? Hopefully, hopefully. I think if you're being really authentic in your art and not just doing art for marketing only, if it's soulful, I think that people get a, a little glimpse into, you know, what your thought process is and what you're feeling or what you're feeling for the day. 
it, it's very personal. I like that. So for my benefit and everybody that's listening, will you please read it one more time? Okay. The quote is, the art of a people is a true mirror to their minds. Well, it's going to be interesting to see who makes comments or how they make a comment on that. So yeah, you know what? Looking drop forward us, to it. Drop us a comment on our thoughtrowpodcast.com website. There's um, a, a contact form. You can just fill it out. You don't even have to go into your email uh, program to do it. Just drop us a line about it and let us know what you're thinking because we would love to know. And today we're going to be talking about kind of one of my favorite topics a little bit is the vanity of art. And I always like to say you may think it's vain to be vain. Yeah, but when you say that, for some reason, I think of the Mona Lisa. And I don't know why I think of the Mona Lisa. Maybe it's because when we went there, there were so many people taking pictures of themselves in front of the Mona Lisa. And I can just imagine her saying in the privacy of her boudoir, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most famous woman of all? And of course, no one's going to be surprised if the mirror responds back to her and says, oh, lovely Mona, of course you are, my dear. You will always be. I think she she will hold that place forever. I mean, she's considered to be one of the two most famous paintings in the world. Everybody recognizes that painting. And of course, it's been added to pencil boxes, to uh, cupcake holders. I mean, you name it, her, her face, her beautiful face has graced so many products. Not only is it a famous painting, but it's quite the commercial item these days. Truth on that. Um, Famous works of art share one thing in common. They all have earned the right to project vanity. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing about vanity is some people will, as soon as you say vanity, they get nervous. They start saying, oh, I'm not vain. I'm not vain. I do. But, you know, I think sometimes the people think that you're being so, you know, almost narcissistic by going, yes, I'm great. And that's uncomfortable for many people. True. And when you think about it, these works of art constantly receive praise, not Mm -hmm. only from those who've had the honor to stand before them, and you and I have been pretty lucky in that respect. Yes, yes. But think about all of the written histories outlining how they were made and by whom. You can pick up literally thousands of books Mm -hmm. written about a particular artist and written about one of his paintings. It gives you some kind of an insight into maybe what he was thinking. Nobody really knows for sure. And a lot of times these are just people's opinions of what they think. But it does at least give you a starting point when you look at a piece of art. True. Gives you some direction. True. And then thinking back to the Mona Lisa, and if you are the actual painting that's created by Leonardo da Vinci, and you're hanging at the Louvre in Paris, and every day the museum is open, you have to wonder if it actually can see all of the sea of people the sea of humanity lobbying for the perfect position to capture themselves in a, a selfie with this very famous painting. Yeah, that's a sea, all right. Yeah. Um, is it Louvre or Louvre? Louvre. I, I hear people say it different ways. Well, but then again, I'm certainly not French. Yeah, that's it. I think that's it. That's probably it. Mm-hmm. Now, when you stand there and look at this painting, you may find some social media vanity of the infamous. Oh, yeah. I was there. People go, oh, I was there. And here's proof for all my friends. You can see, you can see me standing by the Mona Lisa along with my friends, significant <laughs> other, 
boyfriend, girlfriend, hope to be. And actually people start talking to each other, which I thought was kind of interesting. And the other thing that I think is very interesting is how many languages you hear. You hear people say smile in so many different languages. Well, Well, poor Mona is back behind everybody with her little smirk. Right. Uh, which is kind of cute all the way around. Now, what were we talking about this morning? It was when we were referring to the um, pyramid by I Am Pei. Yeah. And when our daughter went for her anniversary, I think it was a little over a year ago, they went to Paris, of course, and they were doing all the sightseeing things. And she sent back a photo of people taking selfies in front of the Louvre. And what was interesting is they have little boxes set up, which look kind of cool, but it's for specifically for taking selfies. So it puts you in the right, you know, selfie elevation. frame and elevation. Yeah, it gives you some elevation. <laughs> so, yeah, that was very interesting. But I can't, like, it looked really kind of bizarre when you see people doing all of this posing in bizarre ways in front of a very iconic building. And it just, it's bizarre to me to after, see that. After she told us that, I went and looked at a picture online yeah. of the Napoleon Court, or whatever that section's called. And Was it Court de Napoleon? Napoleon? Yeah, yeah I thank think you. So. Yeah. Nice way to say it. More it's a little. the heart, the heart of Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, the heart of Napoleon. Um, what I felt was kind of interesting when I took a look at it, the courtyard was empty kind of sign of the times but you saw those little cubes sticking up everywhere and at first you kind of think "Hmm, that must be part of some sort of art installation but lo and behold as you just shared with us Mm -hmm. that's a place for people to stand on to get a little bit of elevation that's a good idea to get the right shot i wonder how many people have backed off of those things and landed in the (laughs) lap of somebody else trying to take a photograph hey it's a way to meet someone Two things stood out to me when we had the opportunity to stand in front of the Mona Lisa was how small it is. Yes. It's, it's very small. And the first time we saw it, it did have some protective covering. They have now added even more. And then they have a, a big wooden, looks almost like an altar. There may be some significance to that in front of it, which keeps people further back. So when you take a selfie or you take a picture, even if you, I mean, I photographed it, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, from a distance and I was able to zoom in on it, but there's a reflection off security glass, I guess it is. At the time we saw it, it was more like a plexiglass. Now I think they have a a much better glass, so it doesn't reflect as much, but it's small. So if you ever have the opportunity to go there, go early. We went early. And even though we were there very early and there was only maybe a dozen or so people, within a matter of minutes, it was packed. Yes. It was all we could do to work our way out of it. Mm-hmm. It was amazing how quickly everybody just converged. Like They, they went running to see it. Well, basically. everyone in the world wants a photograph of in front of the famous Mona Lisa. Of course. Which in some respects is kind of sad because there is a huge amount of spectacular art throughout the Louvre. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, we've spent a lot of time there, not as much as I would like. In fact, you'd have to go there every day for a few months just right. to take in all the art. But if you have an opportunity, and I know things are kind of hunkered down right now, but in the future, if you ever have the opportunity to go there, we highly recommend it. You're going to see just about every great piece of art that's around is on the walls of the Louvre. True, true. And then when you were saying that, it also reminded me 
another iconic statue that we saw was the statue of David at the Academy Gallery of Florence. And that, of course, is by Michelangelo. And that really is some vanity proudly on display. I mean, it overpowers everything in its presence. And it makes us really look like mere mortals at that point. Anyone that walked up to it was really just in awe because it was just so amazing. But I think there's only one way you can really photograph yourself next to this monolithic man. And that is straight up. If you're lucky when you create a selfie, you'll be able to capture your head and most of his torso But it's hard to get back far enough to really get yourself into the photograph if you're doing a selfie on that. Yeah, the thing that amazes me is how big it is. I mean, in stature. Yes, And it's on a little bit of a pedestal, so it makes you feel really small. And then as you look at it, you may want, or I did anyway, think about what a great chunk of marble he carved out of that towering man. It's also interesting that the studio that he carved that in, they had to remove the tiles on the roof because it was such a tall statue that he was working on. Fortunately, it was summer, I guess. Mm -hmm. So he was able to take the roof off, which apparently he did off and on quite a bit. But when he was sitting there carving it, it's hard to imagine, or he'd like to imagine, it's fun to imagine what was going on inside his head. Maybe... Um, he was, he had a little vanity going on there, don't you think? Well, yeah, but I think he wanted to embody perfection, which he did in every statue until in his later years, like when we saw the statue of Nicodemus, I think that was in, uh, Florence as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the abstractness of that was intriguing and so, so perfect even though it looked very abstract, like he was just crawling out of the marble. Well, he used still. himself. He used himself as the model for that. Right, right. That's what I understood. But it, the abstractness is what really caught me, going to such an extreme opposite of what he was doing before. Yeah, it was rough-hewn, I guess the word I guess I could say. Yes, it was very rough. Very rough-hewn. So it looked like um, you could see the chisel marks. But like you said, it's very, very abstract. You knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And then as we wandered around that museum, we saw more and more pieces. And they said that he didn't finish them. And then others, they said these actually were finished, but they were just real rough outlines of people. And I, to tell you the truth, I found those really compelling. I found them maybe more interesting than the highly polished works of art, like the one you're going to talk about next. Yeah, the Pietà. Oh, gosh. That's just so... It embodies so much emotion and serenity all in one. And when you stand before it at St. Peter's Basilica in Vatican City, you just really will lose your breath because it's beyond astonishing and hard to believe that someone actually created it. One man created it with a chisel and mallet in his hand. It's truly a beautiful work of art. It is. And that's just one of the... uh... Well, I want to make one comment about that. We were lucky enough to see the Pieta before they put all of the security security stuff stuff around it to protect it because it was attacked at one point. And then later we saw it again with whatever the shield was to protect it. It's still incredible. But if you ever had the opportunity to see it without that protective shield, you can really see all the nuances of the carving. I especially like the fact that on the arms you could see veins, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody could create such a masterful work of art with a hammer, chisel, 
and of course, a lot of polishing, etc. And also the translucence of the statues that he created always, like they transcend like the earthly plane. Really. Translucence, that's a perfect word for that because it just, it looked like it, to me, it looked like it was alive. The other thing that's really interesting about going there and looking at the other art in the Vatican is there's a bunch of it there. They have probably one of the largest collections of art in the world or certainly one of the top. And if you go there, make sure you go to the assisting chapel. I mean, that's what almost everybody does. They go there and they miss all that other art that's going on in that facility. But there's quite a bit for you to see. There's even one gallery that's dedicated to the beasts of the earth, dogs, cats, lions. That one is really, I thought was very special to be able to see that. If you do go and see the Sistine Chapel, which I know everybody wants to or has if you're creative, it's truly a highlight of everyone's life. It certainly was mine. Take a pair of binoculars. Oh, I remember when you took yours and I asked you why you were taking it. And I thought, well, you know, why do you need binoculars? We're going to be there. But then you... Well, it wasn't so I could check out people across the room. Well, I don't know. That's kind of fun too, but... (laughs) The whole idea of that is that ceiling is way up there. It's much higher than you would even think. It it does. When you see it photographically, you don't ever get the uh, size proportion. But with the binoculars, you can stand on the floor where you will be in a herd of people and you can look up at the ceiling and you can explore it. You could see all the paintings, mm-hmm. all the frescoes in detail. You can pan it with your binoculars and you could stop and spend some time on a particular panel that you like or you want to discover more of. There's quite a bit of detail up there that you don't see standing on the floor with the naked eye. And I know some people try to zoom in on their uh Cell, phone. cell phones yeah. and or a DSLR or sub camera like that. And you could do okay with that. But binoculars, especially if they're reasonably powerful, you can see a lot. And you don't need to buy a big, huge, giant set. You can, Little some ones. of them, like opera glasses, I mean, they'll fit in your pocket practically. But trust me, it's well worth it. You know, when we went to Europe, I thought that was really brilliant once we used it at the Sistine Chapel and then a couple of other places that we used uh, your little binocs, they were they were not very large. So definitely get a pair and put it into your little travel pack that you're going to walk around with. That way you will have an opportunity to use them in the most unusual, you know, like you want to see a particular tree or building or whatever. And it really came in very handy. Yeah, I didn't think of that myself. I probably read it somewhere. It was a great idea. <laughs> whoever gave, whoever had that yeah. idea, and it, probably that idea goes back uh, since the beginning of binoculars right, right. when they were first created. Right. Okay, so let's move forward a few hundred years, and let's talk about contemporary artists. Well, it would stand to reason that we talk about Jackson Pollock and his famous work entitled Number One, Lavender Mist. The colors alone reek of vanity but not so much for the artist. He was a tortured man experiencing the highest highs and the lowest lows. That's kind of unfortunate. Everybody, I'm sure, or most people have read his life story. When he was featured in Life magazine, he basked in glory. And I know there was a lot of vanity going on in the way he presented himself, especially after that issue, which for all practical purposes uh, made him famous. A lot of people, especially Lee Krasner, hated the fact that they called him Jack the Dripper. That annoyed her yeah. her whole entire life. Yeah. Um, and I find that kind of annoying too. The interesting thing about that issue is that 
had a cover of Betty Parsons, mm-hmm. who was an early promoter of abstract expressionism. Right, right. When you read that article, it gives the reader, especially struggling artists, something to envy with their desire to be in total possession of their own creative vanity. This gets back to something we talked about earlier. Some people are ashamed to express their vanity in a creative way. But you should, you shouldn't, I don't think you really should feel that way. Of course, you don't want to be boastful. You don't want to go up to everybody, go look at me. I just did this painting. I'm so incredible. I'm so wonderful. I'm better than Jackson Pollock ever thought he would ever could be. Right, right. But but the reality, yeah, unfortunately, there's plenty of those out there. But you should be proud of what you create. I don't care what you create. I, my grandmother baked the most incredible apple pies and she was proud and I was proud to sit there and gobble them up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So be proud of what you create. It's okay, you know, to have a little vanity here, but make it a healthy vanity and don't annoy other artists with your uh, constant, I'm so wonderful. Right. (laughs) I could see that. And then I wanted to also mention Vincent van Gogh, one of my favorites, and and also Picasso, or um, the artist that demonstrated vanity in the highest form, Temi, is not in this contemporary art realm, but I have to mention him. I know that's a little digressing, but it's Rembrandt. I mean, he painted a portrait of himself nearly every single year. It was kind of neat because it... It reminded me of how people would take family portraits or even like school pictures where each grade you would look a little bit different. And it was the same with him. You saw his progression of his aging and his expressions and his demeanor, his clothes. I mean, it's like a real time capsule with each painting. Uh, I like that. I like that school picture analogy. Yeah. And then interestingly enough, we continue to take pictures of ourselves, And then, you know, you kind of get to the point where you don't want people to photograph you. Women may be a little more so than men. Mm-hmm. And, but he, you know, he didn't care. He just painted himself accurately as it appears to be from a very young age, all the way up until his most senior years. Mm-hmm. And he used his classic Rembrandt lighting right. on virtually every one of those portraits, right. which gave people a better understanding of how to light a portrait. In fact, that's what a lot of uh, portrait photographers, especially in the beginning, they used to call it uh, Rembrandt lighting, and it still works today, mm-hmm. and he figured that out. We we actually got to go to his home in Amsterdam, right? Yes, in Amsterdam. And because my background as a photographer, which I found very interesting, was the way he had these shades or these screens that he could drop down over certain windows, which he could literally set the light in that room just by adjusting the light in each of the windows, which created that effect of Rembrandt lighting. Yeah. I thought his house was really interesting. It was very warm. And of course, it wasn't very bright inside because Amsterdam is usually cloudy and gray. And we, well, we had gone during the winter time to see his house, I believe, or the early spring. I think it was the winter time. Yeah, actually. so we got to experience the grayness. The grayness and the shortest days I have ever experienced in my life because it would get bright around, I don't know, 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And then it would quickly go into dusk 
because they're so far up north, so their days were very short. But um, it was a very warm, comfortable house. I thought very utilitarian. And also, when we were talking about the portraits that he painted about himself, I really liked that his expressions as he he was kind of a little arrogant as he was young and, you know, full of vanity and vanity and everything. But as he got older, there was a softening and an evolution of his ego and his um, perceptions of his own art, I think, as he went and painted. The wisdom of age, right? Yeah, the wisdom and the softening and the realization of how he fit into the world. I thought that was kind of profound. Okay, so what are you going to say about Vincent? Oh, what I was going to say about Vincent van Gogh, first of all, when we went to, which museum was that, Rod? In the Van Paris. Gogh Museum. Oh, we no, went the, to one in Paris, yes, too. Yes, the very, the very first time I saw Van Gogh painting in Paris, it was his Dorsey. Self- the Musée d'Orsay, that's right. Thank you for saying it correctly. <laughs> I, well, mostly correctly. <laughs> but um, Our French-speaking self- listeners are cringing. I know they are. I'm sorry. But we, we haven't been to France in a while, so we haven't been practicing, I guess. I really enjoyed his self-portrait. And as you know, you snapped a photo of me. I literally started crying because it was so energized with his energy and I couldn't believe the energy this painting gave off. So it was one of those self-portraits that I don't know that I could say it's vanity, but he really embodied his soul and spirit in his pictures and his portraits that I I definitely felt. I, I felt that way about Cezanne. I think he's certainly one of my favorite artists. And when you take into consideration, he didn't have to fiddle with bandaging his ear in any of the paintings <laughs> yeah, that he did. yeah. yeah. That was actually a, a, a sad little event. It involved a lady and, of course, his little friend that he was staying with in Arles and the crazy wind they had in Arles. I think it all caught up the with wind. Them. The wind would yeah. drive anybody crazy. They said. And yeah. then, of course, what is that? The Green Fairy? What's that called? Absinthe. <laughs> Unfortunately, there was a lot of that going on, too. Yeah, and historically, people now realize that that can make you a little off. And there have been tons of books written about what may have caused him to do that. People think that he had different kinds of emotional issues and stuff, but nobody ever really has proven any one particular thing. That was a difficult time in his life. But that all being said, that's one of his most famous paintings is with the bandage over his head. It, It really is. It really is. I put a male artist and a woman artist at the top of the vanity tree. These are two that I think merit a lot of accolades, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there would be plenty of oh yes when I mention these two artists' names. Uh-huh. One of them being Pablo Picasso, of course, and the second one, George O'Keefe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> both, <laughs> Definitely, yes. Yeah, both creatively notorious, and both were not shy about their successes. One used vanity, and you probably figure out who this one was. Mm-hmm. One of them used her vanity to keep her sister from becoming an artist, which wow. I thought was wow. kind of mean. Yeah. Uh, the other used his notoriety to keep the mother of his two children, Claude, Claude, and Paloma, from ever having the art world shine its light on her. Mm-hmm. But later in her life, that was the person that he kind of kept in the background and actually made her pay for all of her paints. But later in her life, Francois Julot became a highly respected artist. And interesting, by the way, I had the opportunity to meet her and actually photograph her 
for the cover of a magazine. Both Angie and I were there. Yeah. And um, that at the time, she was married to Jonas Salk, the guy who helped the world from the devastating disease polio. She was wonderful. She was very charming and very warm. And I want to—I don't want to say headstrong in a negative way. She just had a very cool personality. I really like that about her. And she was older when we met her. So that was kind of neat to see her paintings and her personality. She was very vivacious. Just uh, confident, confident. 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 And yes. actually, she was, if I dare say this, she was a bit coquettish. I really appreciated Absolutely. that. I love it. It was I, charming. Yeah, it was very charming. She was kind of flirtatious, which was quite the opposite of her husband at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the vanities in the art world have no shortcomings. Vanity is a free agent and can possess an actual painting itself and the artist that created it. At the top of that vanity triad, just maybe the collector, the one that can spend millions on the work of art at an auction, is that vanity, do you think, Rod? Every artist is vain, and they may not be quick to acknowledge that. After all, does it take a lot of courage and skill to create a pleasing work of art, no matter what the medium? When the creator is sequestered in the studio and no one is there to read their mind, you can be sure that there is a myriad of thoughts of self-grandizement. Or, as I like to say, when I'm in the studio, I call it delusions of grandeur. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard you say that before. I don't know, for me, uh, my thoughts kind of jump all over the place. And sometimes I'm really into my music. Other times I want it to be completely silent. And, you know, I want to close all the curtains and make sure that I just am focused on what I'm doing. So it just, I don't know, I think it depends on your mood. Mm, You know, the delusion of grandeur, because if something's working, you're going, oh, yeah, that's great. And you really feel good about it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's those times when something's not working. And then you're saying, not only to yourself, I think this is not cutting it. You know, nobody's going to like it. But if you paint for yourself to first, you won't really take that into consideration. And that's always my advice. Paint to what you know is right for you. Right, right. And then vanity of art, it was and always will be a mission to motivate and judging from all the great art and the great artists that have created those works, we must give a pronounced amount of vanity to the collectors. They have the wherewithal to collect and the places to showcase all of the art. And the vanity of art seems to be doing a pretty good job of it on the collector end, I think. Well, they probably show more pride than anybody. Mm -hmm. First of all, they have the financial capacity to buy paintings that are in the millions and millions of dollars. And you know they hang those somewhere where they can show them to their friends or other collectors. And they probably sit around and have a brandy or something and champagne and talk about it. And maybe they talk about it as an investment, Mm -hmm. but hopefully a lot of them are very appreciative of the value of the art that they are fortunate enough to own. Sometimes I think it's kind of sorry that it can't be out where most of the public can see it. Right. But if it wasn't for these collectors, that's what gives artists a lot of motivation to create because they need to eat too, and they need those collectors to purchase works of art. Right. And also it helps to keep them in safe environments, too, because there's only so many paintings and works of art that a museum can hang. 
And so if you have some in private collections, I think that it makes the artwork safe, at least. It's not uh, deteriorating or being hidden away where it's not seen at all. Good point. That's right, a valid point. Right. So we all have the capacity to be vain about something in our lives. You may be accused of having an overinflated ego, but psychologists tell us this may be healthy and it builds self-esteem. The vanity of art builds self-esteem for its creators, and that is unquestionably worth the price of admission to the Museum of Vanity. I like that, Museum of Vanity. That's very cool. I think the only comment I can say is I'm sure that our listeners out there have encountered maybe some people that are a little too vain and a little too in your face. And I think those are the ones that we all cringe and hope we're not you know, going down that route. So I think keeping a bit of humility and a sense of humor about your work and just keeping a, your heart open to it instead of um, making it just all about your, your all artwork. About, you yeah, know? and all about you. And all about you. It's, it's, it's like, what are you, you're painting for yourself, yes, but what is it projecting? What is it making the person feel when they're looking at it? Have you accomplished what you want, what your painting's projecting? Well, that goes back to the quote at the very beginning. Correct. We made kind of a full circle, I think, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The quote for today, the art of a people is a true mirror to their minds. And that's where it connects with, is your art, is it meaningful to you? Is it meaningful to the person viewing it? Are you projecting, you know, a certain energy to it? Are you projecting a certain piece of you in it? Well, hopefully, no matter what your creative endeavors are, if you're a writer, a composer, a dancer, there's so many different forms of artistic expression. Correct. And you need to have some vanity. That self-vanity is important. That gives you personal self-esteem, and that's really quite important. You just want to make sure that you don't let it be totally reflective of who you are or how other people see you. Mm -hmm. uh, be vain. We're all vain. Everybody's vain to a certain degree. We're all good at doing something. And whatever that is, you have every right to be proud and you should be proud. But we all have to be careful that we don't become overzealous. We don't sit there and try to push our thinking when it comes to our own personal creativity. Share and share with a good conscience, but share it so you're helpful to others. And also, I do have a, a thought about the vanity of art. Maybe it's not really vanity at that point. Maybe it's just a celebration of your creativity and being able to share it with others. I think that summation is right on the money. Right. It's going to be really interesting to see the feedback on this one, because for all practical purposes, the word vanity has a bad connotation. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to hear what everyone has yeah, to so say. Drop us a little comment on our contact form at thoughtrowpodcast.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say. What's up for next week's podcast? Andrew? Okay, next week, our topic is going to be the art community and what are the pros and cons of hanging around fellow artists. I believe we're going to have a special guest for this one. What's her name? Yes. I mean, it is a her, right? It is a her, and we're going to be interviewing an English-based artist, Sonia Bubalitis, who is not only talented, but she's very active in her community of fellow artists. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm familiar with Sonia's art, and uh, she's an exceptionally kind person. She is. And I could see her working well with other artists. 
I'm anxious to hear what she has to say. Yes. And if you're into creativity and you'd like to know more about how to thrive in a community environment as an artist, I think you're going to find this podcast really insightful and really interesting. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day.